Um, so we are on um, daf, today's daf is Lamed Vav. So we are now, you know, more heavy into Pesachim topics, right? And the Gemara is now talking about when you made matzah for your Pesach enjoyment and you made it using items that you are not really supposed to be eating at that time, okay? different types of items. So the Gemara then is talking about, let's start from Lamed Hey Amid Beis 35b and um, Okay, it's like this, basically. The Gemara is right now saying, I think let's start from, not a great place to start from. Um, I guess let's start from here, Tanara Banan, okay? So it's the last narrow line on, on 35B. It is eight lines up, Tanara Banan. You might think to say that if someone took Tevel, Tevel is produce that there was nothing tithed from at all. Not the Truma that was supposed to give into the Kayan, not the Maiserishan that's supposed to go to the Levi, nothing was tithed at all. Now he takes this Tevel, this untithed produce, and what does he do? He grinds it up, he turns it into flour, and then he makes matzah with it. Okay? I would have thought that perhaps he is also. In a way, he has fulfilled his uh, his mitzvah obligation of eating matzah. The Gemara says, "Kol tevel nami halayin It wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't taken care of. It wasn't uh, fixed at all. So, what are we talking about over here? Ella betevel shalini sakin kol We're talking about tevel that was not yet fully rectified or fixed. In other words, it wasn't taken. All of the different maestros and all the different trumas were not taken from it yet. However, the truma gadayla, the first tie that goes to the kain, that percentage that goes to the kain, that midr araisa, even one stalk would be sufficient to give the kain. Midrabanan, we say either a fortieth, a fiftieth, or or a or a sixtieth. Um, right? Those are the different types of measures that people would take. Once you've taken the main truma that goes to the kain, However, you did not yet remove. What happens is like this: you give a certain percentage of your tithe. You give it to the kain. Then the next thing that you take from your from your produce is you take 10%, you give it to the levy. The levy then turns around and takes another 10% from his percentage that he got from you and gives it to the kain. That 10% that the levy gives to the kain is called trumas meiser. Okay? So you took off only truma from your produce. The only thing that you took off so far was the thing that goes to the kain. You did not yet set aside anything for the levy. You certainly did not take aside anything from within that what is supposed to go to the levy that will ultimately go to the kain that you also did not yet do. Okay. Or you didn't you didn't take um the Maiserishan, you didn't take the Maiserishani, and even if you just didn't take the Maiserani, okay? So Maiserishan means that which the Kayan that's which the Levi gets the 10%. Maiserishani is the 10 the additional 10% that you bring up to Yerushalayim in years one, two, four and five of the Shemitah cycle, or if it's in year three or six, in which you did not take the Meisr Ani, the 10% that goes to the poor people, any of these cases is called um, a situation in which you made matzah using flour that is in a status of hevel. It is not fully tied yet. Minayin, how do you know that if you made matzah using the flour from these types of produce that you have not yet fulfilled your, your mitzvah with this matzah? The passage teaches us, It says you're not going to eat chametz with your, with your uh, carbon Pesach. Any food for which the, the prohibition of eating it is a prohibition of eating chametz, 
The only type of matzah, the only type of grain from which one is permitted to produce matzah and with that matzah fulfill his mitzvah obligation of eating matzah on Pesach is the type of grain, right, that if he would turn it into chametz, in other words, you would allow for it to become leavened, it would be the, the prohibition of chametz. Now, the Gemara has an interesting drasha. The drasha goes like this. It says in the Torah, it cannot be something that you, with which you would violate a prohibition of chametz if you waited for it to become leavened. Now, in this scenario, you have grain, but this grain is actually prohibited not because it's chametz, it's prohibited because it's also something that you did not yet take the trumas and meisers from it. You didn't yet take the tithe from it. And that's why it's forbidden to eat this food. So that cannot be the kind of food that is forbidden to eat on Pesach because of chametz. Because it's not chametz issue, it's really a different issue. It's the untithed produce issue. Now, if the food, if the, if the food that was made chametz from this type of grain is prohibited to eat for a secondary issue, then that's not the kind of grain with which you can satisfy your requirement of making matzah. So the reason why it's forbidden to use this is because of the prohibition of eating food that has not been tithed yet. The Gemara asks the obvious question. Well, there's a prohibition of eating this food because it's chametz. Where did that go? In other words, who told you that when the Torah forbids you to eat the type of grain that was turned into chametz, it has to be only forbidden to eat because it's chametz. Maybe it can be forbidden to eat because it's chametz and because it's tevel. Who said it has to be only one prohibition at a time? This is the opinion of Reb Shimon. Reb Shimon says a very interesting halacha. He says when something is prohibited because of one Torah level, by one Torah level uh, prohibition, you cannot add on another Torah level prohibition. I will, will quote the Brisa right now. The Tanya, because we learned in a Brisa. Shimon says, turning the page now. If someone eats a Nevela, an animal that has died without being properly ritually slaughtered, on Yom Kippur, right? So he's eating food in Yom Kippur, and it's a, a carbon, it's sorry, not a carbon, it's meat that the animal died without the proper slaughter. Pater, you're exempt from bringing a carbon chatas for eating this meat on Yom Kippur. Why? Because it was already forbidden because it was a Nevela. So therefore, you're not going to have a second prohibition of Yom Kippur, Isser, falling on this food. Ravina Amar, Afilu Ravina says, even if we say that this is the Chacham, and we could still explain why it is that you are not fulfilling your mitzvah of eating matzah if it was made from produce that was not properly nisaken, not properly taken off the, uh, the chumas and ricers. How? Misha Isura Mishumbalta The only time that there is a prohibition inherent to the eating of this grain if it had turned into chametz, right? To the extent that if you use this grain for matzah, you have filled your mitzvah, that is only true when there is only one prohibition. And even the Chachamim would say, it's not because of a different law that you can't have two prohibitions happening one on top of the other. It's a completely unique to the chametz and matzah law, that only a type of grain that the only prohibition that would come if it would turn into chametz would be because of the chametz, then it would be, be able to be used for your matzah. Over here, the prohibition is not just a prohibition of eating chametz. It also is a prohibition about not eating tava, not eating food that was not yet properly tied. So because there's a second prohibition as well, this is not going to be included in the type of green with which you can fulfill your matzah. Midi bilvad, the Gemara says, what are you talking about? The Torah doesn't tell us bilvad, only prohibition of chametz. It doesn't say that. You made that up yourself. So therefore, we take away Ravina's answer. We don't like Ravina's answer, and we go with Rav Sheshis' answer. 
that it has to do with uh, the position of Rav Shimon, that Ain is Rechal al you can't have one prohibition come to take effect on it, something that is already forbidden for a different reason. We learned in Baisa. I might have thought to say that you can fulfill your mitzvah of eating matzah with Meiser Shani in Yerushalayim. What's Meiser Shani? Meiser Shani is the second 10% of tie that you have to take off of your, of your uh, produce. What do you do with it? You bring it to Yerushalayim and you eat this produce in Yerushalayim. Okay? This is in the first and the second and the fourth and the fifth year of your Shemitah cycle. Now, Tamil Leimar. Pasuk therefore tells us, Lechem Oini. The Pasuk says, Lechem Oini. Okay? What's Lechem Oini? Lechem Oini is where the Pasuk teaches us in, in uh, Dvarim. Pasuk says, um, um, Lechem Oini. Right? Now, what's Lechem Oini? Right? The Gemara says like this. The Torah tells us, Lechem Oini. Ayin Vav Nun Yud. Okay? Now, really, it should just say lechem ani. If the Torah meant to say that it's poor man's bread, it should say lechem ani, ayin nun yud, without the extra vav that makes it ani. So why is the Torah putting in an additional vav? The reason why the Torah puts an additional vav is l'rabai salav, is to add an additional prohibition to teach you that matzah cannot be with a kind of thing that you would not be able to eat when you're in a state of aninus. What is aninus? Aninus is when someone has a very close relative die. Before their body, before that body is buried, that person is putter from all mitzvahs. It is called the state of aninus. They are in, in called, what is called an onain. Okay? Now, there are things that cannot be eaten when you're in a state of aninus. For example, meiser, sheni, cannot be eaten when you're in a state of aninus. Meiser, sheni is supposed to be eaten in Yerushalayim when you are in a very happy mood. If you are in a state of aninus, because you have a dead relative that you have to be busy with, you cannot eat the meiser, sheni. Okay? So, therefore, since it says in the Torah, lechem oini, it teaches us that it has to be the kind of bread, the matzah, that you can eat when you're in a state of aninus. What is that coming to exclude? It's coming to exclude meiser, sheni. Can only be eaten when you are in a state of um, of simcha of happiness, and not when you are in aninus. Kiva says, says in the Torah matzis matzis, and that teaches us that actually you can you can eat meiser sheni. If so, so if so, then why does the Torah need to say lechem oini? What's the reason it said lechem oini? When it said that you have to eat yayin aini, it was telling you poor man's bread. What did it mean by that? It didn't just mean because it didn't rise. It means even if it didn't rise, but the the liquid that you made your dough out of with your flour, the liquid was either wine or oil or honey, that that is not matzah that you, with which you can fulfill your mitzvah. My time is Rebekiva. What's Rebekiva's reasoning, right? Because he does not understand that Lechem is coming to exclude Meiser Shani. He says it's coming to exclude the type of bread that is made with these other ingredients and not with plain water. Miksiv Lechem Oini, does it actually, is it written in the Torah, Ayin Vav Nun Yud? it's written in the Torah, Ayin Nun Yud. If the Torah wanted to teach us what, what the first, what Riesei Glili understood, that it's coming to exclude Meiser Shani, the Torah should have explicitly written Ayin Vav Nun Yud. The Torah did not write it like that. The Torah wrote it ayin nun yud. The way we read it is ayin vav nun yud. Okay? So Rabbi Kiva says, since the Torah, if the Torah really wanted to teach us Rabbi Yisrael, then it would have actually written it ayin vav nun yud. The fact that it didn't tells us that we are learning the proper halacha. 
says one second. If it would have actually read it as ani, then you would have been right. It doesn't read as ani as poor man. It reads as aini. What's aini coming to teach us? It's coming to teach us. I believe, at least, basically, believes this halacha that you cannot use meisersheni produce for your matzah. So what does Rebekiva do with the fact that we actually read it as aini? If Rebekiva it's all about ani, the poor man's bread, and that's why you can't use special types of, of wet ingredients, right? So then why does it, why indeed do we read it as aini? We should read it as ani. Kiddush like Shmuel. Amar Shmuel, lechem aini. Lechem sh'ainan alav varam harbe. Famous halacha. Why is matzah called meiser aini, right? I'm sorry, lechem aini, right? So on Pesach this year, but as Hashem, it will be a year in which we can actually have a normal seder, right? You're having a Seder, you'll tell everyone, why is it called Lechem Aini, right? So you'll say, well, actually, it's Machlekes Tanayim. It's a dispute in the Gemara and Psachim on Daplamid, Vavam, and Aleph. One opinion says the reason why it's called Lechem Aini is because it's excluding using Meisr Shani. And the other opinion is it's called Lechem Aini because it's teaching us matzah upon which we say many different things as we eat the matzah. Because it is over this matzah that we have a mitzvah, a Torah mitzvah, to speak about the Sipri Yotias Mitzrayim, to speak about the leaving Mitzrayim. Masab believes. Is it true that Rebekiva is actually of the opinion that if you have dough that was kneaded with meiser, I'm sorry, not with meiser, but with either with wine or with oil or with honey, that it is not good for matzah? But Tanya, we learned in the right You're not allowed to knead dough on Pesach. With wine, with oil, and with honey. But however, if you did knead this on Shabbos, on, on Pesach, I mean, Lil says you have to burn it right away. And Lil says, why do you have to burn it? Because when you knead the, the dough, the, the flour, with these types of ingredients, it becomes, it becomes into a chimutz, it becomes into a leavened dough very quickly. Some say you're allowed to eat it, right? Because they say it's true that you should not knead it, because typically when you knead it, it's going to turn into chametz. But if you're very careful and you can ensure it does not turn to hummus, and indeed you're still permitted to eat it. So the fact that we say don't do it is we're just saying don't do it in the first place because ideally it's not as safe. But we're not saying that if you did it, you can't eat it. As long as if you did it and you did it, uh, if you did it and properly, then you can still eat it. says, <coughs> I one time was staying next and in, in the house of or next to Rebbe Lezer and Rebbe Lahem. And I made, I needed dough for them with, uh, with wine and with oil and with honey. They didn't say anything to me. And even though we say you're not allowed to ideally make dough with these liquids on Pesach, but you are allowed to, you know, put it on the surfaces to give it that nice, nice gleam, right? And glistening, right? So you're allowed to use these type of liquids on the surface as long as it's not kneaded in it. because It's not going to create chamet. This is the Atanakama's opinion. Anything with which, any liquid with which you can knead the dough, then you're also allowed to use it on the top. If you're not allowed to knead the dough, you're not allowed to use it on the top. Everybody agrees you should not be kneading the, the dough with water that is lukewarm water. Lukewarm water is going to cause the chametz very quickly. So the Gemara says, what are we trying to say over here? The whole point that we're trying to say is like this. Rebbe Kiva clearly was of the opinion that you are allowed to use these other liquids with your matzah. But we just got finished saying Rebbe Kiva is using Aini to teach you that you cannot use other liquids with your matzah. You can only use water. But Rebbe Kiva in this price seems to be saying you could. Like Kasha, Habiyam Tavrishan, Habiyam Tavshin. The question is like this. Are we talking about the first night of Pesach or the second night of Pesach? On the first night of Pesach, you should only use the, the very poor bread. On the second night of Pesach, you use the, the richer bread that's made with the other ingredients. 
So it's not a problem of chametz. It's a problem of the first night of Pesach when we're recreating the scene of when we left the Tzrayim, it should be done in the poorest possible bread because we're trying to remember both the fact that this is the matzah, that it's, it's re- recreating the fact that this is the matzah with which we left Mitzrayim. It's also remembering the fact that for many years when we were slaves, we ate this matzah in Mitzrayim, okay? So if you're remembering the fact that when we were slaves, we ate this matzah, it should be the poorest possible matzah. As Rabbi said to his sons, on the first night of Pesach, or the first day of Pesach, do not make matzah for me with milk. Afterwards, yeah, you can make matzah with me using milk. Fatanya, the Gemara is going to ask the obvious question we just did last week. Fatanya, ain't lushness isa bechalav. Non specific to, to Pesach, you're not allowed to make milk chalav, right? Bim lush, kalapasi sura, mifne hergalavera. And if you did make milk chalav, everything, you're not, it's not just that you're forbidden to make it, you're not even allowed to eat it afterwards. Why? Because if you do eat it afterwards, you might come to eat it with meat. So how can he tell his son that if it's the second day of Pesach, you can make it for me with milk? This is what you have to say. On the first night of Pesach, do not knead the dough for me using honey. On the second night of Pesach, make the dough for me using honey. Because it's okay, because we're not as concerned on the second night of Pesach with this secondary consideration of that it should be the poorest possible bread. We're concerned that it doesn't turn into chametz, but that we could take care of. Same another answer. Where it was done with milk. Like Ravina said, if it's made like a tura, if it's made like an axe, right, then it's permitted to eat this chala. What do we mean by that? We mean to say is that if it's very clear that um, that it, that it's not meant to be, um, that either that if it's very clear that it is not a uh, a regular a regular dough, that it's some sort of a, a different type of dough, and that would make it clear. Or if it's a very small, very small piece, and it can be eaten in one bite, then it's not as likely that people will then come to forget and come to eat it with meat later. Hachanami ain't tura. So to here you have to say that the case was that he told his son to make him this dough using milk, but it was the, it was like a tura, and therefore it was very small, and therefore it was something that he was going to be eating. It was clear that he would not save till later, and nobody would make a mistake to eat it with meat. Shavan she'en lashen, everybody agrees, she'en lashen is the east of the parish, everybody agrees you cannot use lukewarm water for the meeting. What's the difference between this and menachos? What are menachos? Menachos are the mincha offerings. Mincha offerings are matzah. Right? They take dough, right? Mincha literally means a, a flour offering. What they would do is they would take the flour, they would turn it into a dough, and they would bake a matzah, and then they would bring it as an offering. Now, by menachas, you're allowed to use lukewarm water. And menachas has to be matzah. Why aren't we concerned? It's not. We learned in the Mishnah. All menachas offerings can be kneaded with lukewarm water. Right? Now, however, you are careful to ensure that it does not turn into mat, into chametz. Uh, now, so the Gemara is saying like this. Why is it that over there we're saying use lukewarm water? Don't be concerned that it's going to turn into chametz. But over here we're saying don't use lukewarm water on Pesach because it might turn into chametz. What's the concern? Imam Rubba's reason. Yem Rubba's reason. One second. If it comes to the time when you're making the offering of the mincha offering, they are reason. And generally speaking, when we say the word reason, we mean people are very uh, meticulous, very zealous in their mitzvah observance. Typically, we use this phrase to refer to the Kohanim themselves, the priests themselves. The Gemara is making the assumption, once again, that that's what we're referring to here. And the Gemara is going to ask a question. It will then change its, it will change its direction about what exactly the reason means. But at this point, the assumption is, when it comes to the Kohanim preparing the Menachas, they are very careful. They do it very zealously. And therefore, they will ensure it does not turn into Matzah. How do you ensure something doesn't turn into Matzah? So what you do is if you constantly knead it and you constantly push it down, 
then you ensure that the, the flour doesn't really get to rise at all. It's just constantly working it, working it, working it. Stick it straight into the oven right away without stopping to work it. It will not have a chance to rise, okay? So that is true when it comes to the kehanim in the Beis HaMikdash for the sake of the offering. If it comes to me and you making matzah in our house on Pesach, then we should be concerned that I won't be working it properly. And then if I use lukewarm water, I'm going to cause the current to chametz. The Gemara says, Iachi, if so, mil- Melissus anami lusus, right? So then it should also not just should it be permitted to to knead it in a lukewarm order, you should even be allowed to take the grain before it's actually turned into flour and soak the grain a little bit because the Arkahanim is the reason. And they'll be careful that as soon as it gets close to turning into chametz, they'll immediately stop, they'll halt the process. However, we have a memra, we have a statement in which they said, keep in shalmanachas ain lysisanaisa. They said that the the wheat that that the kernel the wheat kernels that are going to be used for the manachas for the offering the, the um, flour offerings that are made into matzah you're not supposed to soak them at all. So lishab is reason isa lasita lasab is reason. You have to say it like this: when it comes to the actual kneading, that is done by those who are meticulous and those who are zealous with their uh, mitzvah observance. They're done by the kahanim. But when it comes to the soaking of the kernels at an earlier stage in the game, that is not done by people who are very careful. And therefore, if we let them soak it, they might come to allow it to turn into chametz. And is that true that the kneading is done by the kehanim? But we learned in the Pasuk, right? What does the Pasuk teach us? And it says that you pour the oil on this mincha offering, and then you bring it to the kayin. What does it sound like? It sounds like that... The first stage of the process, up until the kneading and including the kneading, is not done by a kain. Only from the kmitza, only from the actual, they would take a, a handful of the of it of the grain of the I'm sorry of the flour and bring that as an offering. That's the part that's done by a kain, but before and it's not done by a kain, right? Sorry, a question: Is this process the preparation for mental offering? Is that happening inside the base of English, or can that happen outside the base of English? Yeah, so we're going to see it happens outside the base of Mikdash. Uh, different stages of it happen outside the base of Mikdash. And that's really yeah. what the Gemara's assumption, or it's hard to know what the Gemara like assumed, but the Gemara was at least making believe that the that the Kayan did everything. And uh, that was like our assumption. Well, that's a working working, uh, working statement. And then the Gemara says, no, you got to clarify that because actually we know that the Kayan doesn't do everything. So you can't make that argument that that's the distinction. So what's really the distinction? So the Gemara says, Limer ad oblila, she. And we see from here that the yitzika, right, the, 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 um, the adding of the wet ingredients, right, and the belila and the mixing together of the oil and the flour, that indeed could be done by anybody, even not by a kain. So how can you say that's because the kahanam has reason that therefore we're not concerned? Gemara says, Lisha is reason lasa, reason isa. It is true that the kneading is not necessarily done by the, by the kahanam. However, the actual kneading is done in a place where there's reason are, right? What does this mean that there's reason are? Sucked Rashi, Bazara. Rashi says, indeed, this happens in the Azara, in the temple courtyard, right? Oh, very good point, Rashi's making. The, the pans in which they would make these mincha offerings were klishares. They were utensils that were made for the sake of serving in the temple. And therefore, they have to have been done. They have to have been kneaded in their, those pans on the actual temple mount. So it's true that it could be done by a regular Yisrael. Any of us could have done it. But we only would have done it on the base of Mikdash, in the base of Mikdash itself, which is a place in which people are extraordinarily careful about mitzvah observance. Says Belila is the mixing of it is kosher, is even if it is done by Azar, by someone who's not a Kayin. However, if it is done outside of the walls of the Azara, indeed it is possible. 
But however, the lasita part, right, the soaking of the grain before anything happens to it, that indeed, that indeed is not done by the people who are zaras, and not even done in the place that is zaras. What's the difference between the mincha sa'emer, which is the carbon mincha, right? The carbon mincha that is brought on the second day of Pesach that permits us to eat the um, the new the harvest uh, the new year's harvest of grain. The Tanya we learned in Rabbi Mincha sa'emer, the 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 taking of that offering from the the aimer the barley um, barley flour. What's the halacha? You can soak it beforehand. But soivrin isa. And then you pile up the barley so that the water can, uh, you know, drain out. Tzibor, shani. The thing is like this, that that's a case where it is done with tzibor. It is done as, it's an offering that is being brought on behalf of the entire Kvali Yisrael. And therefore, that's also considered to be on a very high level of, uh, of zealousness and meticulousness of observance. New point, right? I might have thought to say that a person can fulfill his mitzvah obligation of eating matzah using bikurim. Bikurim are the first fruits that we give to the kayin. Uh, so in other words, what we're talking about is like this, that perhaps a kayin will take the bikurim that was given to him by Israel and use that to create his matzah for Pesach. The Pasuk tells us, In all of your dwelling places, you eat matzah. The fact that the Torah tells us that matzah has to be something that can be eaten in all of your dwelling places, that is coming to exclude Bikurim matzah. Because Bikurim matzah, can it be eaten anywhere? No. Bikurim matzah cannot be eaten anywhere. Where does the Kayan eat Bikurim? He only eats it in Yerushalayim. Basically, basically, his opinion. Rabbi Kiva once again argues. Kiva, Eimer, matzah umara. It says matzah and mara. Right? Ma mara she'ini Bikurim. Just like maror cannot be something that is bikurim, right? What what type of grain, what type of, I'm sorry, what type of produce are subject to the laws of bikurim? Only the shiva saminim of Eretz Yisrael. Now we know the shiva saminim of Eretz Yisrael, there is nothing in there that is even remotely similar to maror, right? So the maror, the bitter herbs, is not something that can be subject, that can be taken from this, the, the species for which bikurim comes from. So the same way the maror can't be taken from those species, the matzo also cannot be. But if we would say this, well, maybe we would say maror does not have, maybe you say it's like this. The maror that we take for Pesach, there is nothing within its entire species that are related to Bikurim. So maybe that should invalidate matzah. Because why? Because ap matzah Bikurim. We should say matzah is also a problem. Why? Because matzah would, would then have to be taken from a species from which it is no connection to Bikurim. Now we know that's not true because one of the one of the Shiva Saminim is wheat, right? So wheat obviously is matzah. So the fact that its species is taken for Bikurim, that it should not be an invalidation. In other words, the Gemara is saying is you thought to say that the fact that we compare matzah and mara, and the fact that mara has some sort of uh, exclusion from Bikurim or some sort of disconnect from Bikurim, that should also then have a commensurate disconnect from Bikurim when it comes to the actual matzah. How far are you going to go with that, right? Should we go so far as to say that even if it's the same species, it's a problem? That doesn't make any sense. Gemara says, Well, what would come out from that is that not just the wheat would be invalid for being used for matzah, which we know is not true. We had a Mishnah teaching us that wheat can be used for matzah. Also, sairin, also barley would no longer be applicable for matzah, because barley also is, is one of the shivas hamin, one of the seven species from which we take the bikurim. Tamalema, the passage therefore says, matzah is matzah. It says two twice matzah, riba. It's coming to include. 
What's a karma to include? Gemara then asks, e matzis, matzis, riba, if matzis, matzis, the fact that this is matzis twice is coming to include a different case, I feel the Bikurim Nami, then we should say that even a matzah that is coming from Bikurim should also be okay. Rebbe Kiva went back from his entire opinion. Rebbe Kiva said the fact that the Torah puts together matzah and marar, that is not come to teach you that they are similar in all of their, all of their respects. Tanya, we learned in I might have thought to say that someone can fulfill his mitzvah obligation of eating matzah on Pesach, even if the matzah was coming from Bikurim grain. Therefore, the Pasuk teaches us, In all of your dwelling places, you should eat matzah. Matzah only matzah that can be eaten in all your dwelling places. It comes to exclude Bikurim, the, the first fruits, Produce that can only be eaten in Jerusalem and not outside Jerusalem, which would be excluded from the fact that the Torah tells us, you have to be able to eat it in all of your dwelling places. I might have thought that then I should even be able to exclude Meiser Shani, right? The produce that is supposed to be eaten in Jerusalem by anybody, not just Kehanim, in the first and second and fourth and fifth year of the Shemitah cycle. I might have thought that that also should be excluded from being, from that Meiser Shani produce cannot be what you make your matzah from. Therefore, the Torah tells us matzis, matzis, riba. It says matzis twice to include even maizersheni can be used for matzah. What made you think that, okay, we have one thing we're excluding, one type we're including. In other words, the fact that it says it's excluding something which cannot be eaten everywhere. And one time it says matzis, matzis, coming to include something that should have been excluded. I have two different categories. I have a category of bikurim. I have a category of maizersheni. How do I know which one should be included in matzah, which one should be excluded from matzah? Marabani Maisersheni, I should include Maisersheni. Why? Maisersheni can be permitted in all of its places, right? How can Maisersheni be permitted? And I'm going to exclude Bikurim. Why? The first fruits. There is no way to make it permissible in other places. Says, How do I know that if Meister Shani, the second, the, the second 10% that was supposed to be brought up and eaten in Yerushalayim, if it became Tomei, it became ritually impure, that you could even redeem it even once it came into Yerushalayim, you still redeem it and it will lose its holy consecration status and you will be able to eat it outside Yerushalayim. It says in the Torah, we are not able to bring it to Yerushalayim, you are allowed to redeem it outside Yerushalayim. That is in regards to the Meister Shani produce. The word seis normally refers to eating. It says, and it says that he is actually in last week's parasha, right? That he, he gave these portions. Yosef gave these portions of food to the brothers, right? Who said this? The Amar, who's, who's of the opinion, that the, that the matzah mitzvah can be used with Meiser Shani. Rebbe Kiva's opinion of Rebbe Kiva. Become, become a ma'it the bikurim, and he still used the this price. So at the same time, said that bikurim is not going to work. From the fact that it says it has to be eaten in all of your dwelling places, bikurim can't be eaten. indeed was chayzer. Indeed, he retracted his opinion. Rebekiva agrees to be a sekhlili. Meiser sheni works for chametz. I'm sorry for matzah, but um, bikurim does not work for matzah. What what is his uh why does he say that you should learn it out from um, why doesn't he say learn it out from the fact that it says lechem the bread which is the aini bread the affliction bread the bread which can be eaten um as when you are in a state of aninus right that is what you can use for matzah 
excluding Maishashenia, which cannot be eaten unless you're in a state of happiness and not in a state of aninus. So that's why he says you can't use Maishashenia produce for your matzah. So like Rabbi Shimon, he holds like Rabbi Shimon. Tanya, we learned in a Baisa. Bikurim asurin lo'einin. Bikurim is forbidden to an einin. Rabbi Shimon Matar, Rabbi Shimon indeed permits an einin to eat bikurim. My time, what's the reason for the Rabban? And what's the reason of the Chabim who say that it is, um, that it's forbidden to eat Maeser Shani? For, uh, be, um, I'm sorry, forbidden to eat bikurim for an einin. Bechsivas, it says, loisucha lecha b'sharacha. You should not eat it within b'sharacha, in a, inside of your, your gates, inside of your cities, you should not eat the Maeser bikurim. Omar Mar, and Mar says, Truma, Trumas Yatcha Elu Bikurim. It says the Truma of your, the tithe of your hands. This is referring to the first fruits produce. The Iskish Bikurim, we see from here that Bikurim is compared to the 10%. Ma Maiser Asalainin, Apikurim Asalainin. The same way that a regular Jew who has this Maiser Shani and he's Lo Aleinu, he finds himself in a state of Aninus where he has a close relative who died and he's obligated to bury that close relative. He is not allowed to eat the Maishashani. So to the Bikurim cannot be eaten by a Kayan when the Kayan is in a state of aninus. Rav Shimon, Rav Shimon would say to you, Taruma Karinu Rahmana Kitruma. Ma Truma Mutaras Lainan Apikurim Mutalainan. The Torah called it almost Truma. It used a Lushan that is similar to Truma, called it Truma Siyadecha. So therefore, it's telling you it's similar to Truma. The same way Truma is permitted to someone who is in a state of aninus, so to Bikurim is permitted to someone who is in a state of aninus. Rav Shimon, what does Rav Shimon say? Nehida Hekish Lesley. Although he does not have this hekish, he does not have this comparison between uh, between Bikurim and Meiser Sheni, right? Simcha miha mechdev ksivabu. But at the end of the day, it does say about this that you ate it for simcha. You ate it in a state of happiness. It says, right? And you should be, uh, you rejoice in all of the goodness when it comes to the Bikurim, right? Now, if that's what it says, how do you do that when you're in a state of aninus? This is not going to teach you the practical status that you can only eat it when you're in a state of happiness. It's going to teach you that the Bikurim should specifically be brought up to Yerushalayim during the time period when people are very happy, which is the Sukkot time period, right? It's not, I mean, not, not Sukkot. Sukkot is when it ends. It begins at the time of, of uh, Shavuos. It's not, we learned in the Mishnah. From Shavuos until Sukkot, maybe Vikoyre. You can bring your Bikurim and you could say the proper uh, words. When you bring the Bikurim, you should say the proper words of confession. From Sukkot until Chanukah, maybe the Enekeire. You could still bring your Bikurim, but you should no longer say the requisite words because you're not in quite the same state. state. The state of happiness is not quite there. Turn around, we learned in the Vaisa. Lachem Aini, Prat, Prat, Lach, U, La So the Lachem, when it says Lachem Aini, it's coming to exclude. Um, which some sort of bread which is made with uh, lachlut and the bread which is made with ashisha. So Rashi says these are different types of breads, either very big loaves of bread or a bread that's considered very distinguished. It's like a very fancy type of bread. These are not types of breads that you should be making your matzah out of. You might think to say that you can only fulfill your mitzvah of matzah if you're making like whole wheat matzah because only the poor people ate the whole wheat in those days. The real healthy people did not eat the whole wheat, right? But the poor people ate the whole wheat, right? So maybe you would think that it says poor bread. It has to be only whole wheat matzah. Therefore, the Torah tells us matzah is matzah. It says matzah is twice to teach you riba. And it can even be the matzah of Shlomo HaMelech, right? Who's always considered to be like the wealthiest, the most richest food that's ever been eaten is by Shlomo HaMelech on his table. And still you're allowed to make your matzah out of that kind of uh, very, very wholesome and very uh, fancy flour. You're allowed to do that. That's not an issue because the Torah says matzah twice. 
Well, then, once again, you have to reconcile it. One time it says, poor man's bread. Other hand, it says, matzis, matzis, to include additional things that are permitted. Which one is it? How do we know that Ashisa is uh, a language that signifies very distinguished food? It says, and he gave out to all of the people. So he gave out to each person of B'nai Yisrael, from man to woman, to the men, one uh, loaf of bread. And he also gave them, uh, you know, one piece of good meat. And also this ashisha achas, right? This good, uh, whatever the ashisha was, this type of rich bread. Eshvar means one-sixth of a par. Ashisha is bread that is made with one-sixth of an eifa of flour, right? Which is a, a, a legitimate amount of flour. Shmuel actually said, no, no, no. What ashisha was not bread, that was actually uh, a measure of wine. It says, as it says in Heshea, it says something which is related to the the people who love um, grapes. 